Let's bow our heads just for a minute. Father, as we open your word tonight, once more how we need your Holy Spirit. So please, as we look into your word, may we look with the eyes that you should give us to see. May we be able to hear you speaking to us through your word. And my prayer also tonight, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will feel your very presence. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have read the book or watched the video, Left Behind? Some of you? Good for you, okay? The rest of you, you know, go down here to the movie theater, not the movie theater, but the video place and pick it up and watch it, okay? It's an amazing thing. Some people ask me and say, Jack... How can you as a preacher tell people to go read this or watch this? It's, it, it's not true. No, it isn't, folks. But hey, guess what? Pastor Tim LaHaye and Pastor Jenkins both say in the front of the book, in the forefront, they state right up front, this is a fictional story. Okay, fictional means what? Not true. But I've discovered something. Nobody can outsmart God. Hello? I've had people who have quit going to church, went down, got the movie at, you know, Blockbuster, watched the movie, and then got a brochure in the mail and thought, wow, if there's any truth to this, I better go find out. See who can outsmart God. Amen? God's using things like this to reach people that aren't even going to church and are not religious. But it's amazing how much the film will impress them. How about this one? The Omega Code, one and two. It's an amazing little video to be able to convince people, where are we today? Is it a true story? No, it's fictional. But it's getting people to listen and go to church and find out if there is truth. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we become so narrow, we can't see the forest because the stupid tree's getting away. Okay? Uh, Charlie Daniels, all of you know Charlie Daniels? He came out with a, with a religious album about, you know, uh, the second, the, the rapture. And uh, my wife said, here, honey, listen to this. It was, it was okay. It wouldn't have been my cup of tea, even though I like Charlie Daniels. And I said, well, it's all right, honey, but I wouldn't. She said, no, but your son would. So we gave it to my youngest son, who hadn't been going to church for a long time. Two weeks later, he showed up in church. Hello? Okay. So let us not be so narrow. God can use just about anything to reach somebody. A pastor that I know was in a Saturday matinee and he was watching the movie, you know, uh, Ben-Hur. And when that scene, remember, that Jesus came out and gave Ben water? Right there in the movie theater, he knelt down and gave his heart to Jesus. Hello? Are you with me? Don't put God in a box. He's bigger than that, all right? This idea of this rapture teaching is based on three pillars. Number one, the rapture itself. Number two, there's a second chance. Now, Satan loves this one. I want you to know that. 
Satan absolutely loves people who will put off for tomorrow what they should do today. Listen, you don't, even, you don't have any <laughs> guarantee you're going to wake up in the morning. Hello? And if you haven't given your life to Jesus tonight, tomorrow's too late. Okay? So Satan loves this idea of a second chance. And then, of course, we can escape tribulation. It, it amazes me the arguments over this of those that are pre-trib, post-trib, and mid-trib. You know, why? They're scared to death of the tribulation. Now, you know, this reminds me of an ostrich. Y'all know what an ostrich does when it gets scared? You know, it sticks its head in the sand. You ever think about that? You present an awful tempting target to the devil in that position. Amen? Do we really escape tribulation? We're going to talk about it tonight so it makes sense. Now, the foundation that holds up the three pillars is the one week or the seven years of tribulation. And we studied that last night. Does the Bible talk about seven years of tribulation and taking this verse out and moving it down? No, it does not. Is there going to be tribulation? Yes, the Bible says that there is. But listen, folks, why should we fear that? There's verses in the Bible that tell you, listen, a thousand may fall at thy left hand and ten thousand at thy right, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold the reward of the wicked. Are you with me? God can still preserve his people, you know? And so you just need to remember that, even though we have tribulation. And I told you last night, listen, you know, if I have to go to sleep one way or another, either there, <clears throat> I probably shouldn't say this, Pastor, whether the government does it, Okay, or <laughs> and I believe in the United States of America. Or whether I just go to sleep and don't wake up. Don't feel sorry for me, folks. I'm promised the resurrection, amen? You're going to feel sorry for somebody when you brush your teeth in the morning. Feel sorry for yourself because you're still here putting up with what the devil's putting out, amen? But should you be discouraged? No. Well, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Listen, folks. Maybe you'll have a man of God speak to the rock. Hello. Maybe he'll just rain bread down out of heaven. Maybe he'll fly it in by FedEx. You know, he's done that before. You read the story about, you know, how Elijah ran from the Lord and the ravens had to bring him bread. I mean, come on. God is not somebody who is weak. Okay? Sin has not caused God to degenerate as we have. God is the most powerful being in the entire universe and he can speak things into existence. Don't worry about tribulation. And we'll look tonight and we'll see where are we in this. My people are destroyed for a, a lack of knowledge. I want you to open your Bibles tonight. I want to begin with the most used text in the Bible to support this idea of this sudden disappearance or this secret rapture. We find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. 
The Bible says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Now, if you didn't bring your Bibles tonight, be sure and take the homework home and do the homework because all of the scriptures will be in there and it'll give you a clearer understanding. Now, I said that. How many of you in this room so far will back me up? If you go do the homework, it sure helps a bunch. Yeah. It really makes it clearer, doesn't it? Okay. I need all the help I can get. Anyway, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, some of the newer versions, this is the King James Version, says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be raptured up together with them in the cloud. Now, by the way, some people take issue over a word. I told you that part of the problem is translation. This word caught up can be just as easily translated raptured up. It's not, it's not a sin to do that. Folks, it means the same thing. Are you with me? Raptured up. You know, I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe Jesus says, I am the way, follow me? Does that mean in everything? Jesus is our example in everything, right? Well, then would Jesus be our example in a rapture? Huh? Well, let's look and see. Keep your finger here. I'm going to come back. But let's go over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. First recorded rapture in the Bible. Well, no, that's not true, Jack. First recorded rapture in the Bible was who? It was actually Enoch who walked with God and walked into heaven. Then it was Elijah who was taken in a fiery chariot. And then it was Moses who was resurrected from the dead. Okay? But here we find Jesus. And if you're looking at verse 4, 5, 7, 8, Jesus is talking, right? And as he's talking, I want you to notice. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, caught up, raptured up, okay? And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfast toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is raptured up from you into heaven, shall show come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Wow. Think about this. Tonight, when we're looking at this truth about left behind, we want to be able to know something. Jesus himself, just like uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we will be raptured up into the clouds. We discover Jesus was raptured up into the clouds. Now, here's an important factor. Did they see him go? And what did the angel say? This same Jesus, not somebody else, this same Jesus, okay, will come again just like you've seen him go. So are they going to see him come? Hello? Now what does that say about when, like when you're watching the video and all of a sudden, you know, the guy flying the plane's gone and his clothes are neatly folded in the chair, but he's not here anymore. You know, and, and people veer off and there's all kinds of... What does that tell you, folks? Just right up front. If Jesus is our example, 
Is that what happened with Jesus? All of a sudden he just disappeared, right? Not at all. Okay? See, some of the simplest things can explain something if we're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a novel. But many people, I'm sorry to say this, Laura, are taking it as gospel. Hello? Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Hope you kept your finger there. I'm going to tell you something. I can prove almost anything from the Bible by one text. I can show you I can have 300 wives. Hello? Yeah. I don't know what I'd do with them. Can't control the one I got. 300 of them drive me crazy. My wife says I'm crazy anyway. But folks, I can do that. Does that make sense? So if we go back and let the Bible interpret itself, if we put things in context rather than taking it out of context, then it becomes more difficult to prove something because now the Bible proves itself. Amen? So if we go back and we look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's take a look at this and let's put it in context. Let's begin with verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That sounds familiar to what said next, right? Lord himself, you've seen him go, he's going to come back. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be raptured up together with them. Who's the them? The dead in Christ, okay, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, he says, comfort one another with these words. Now, when you put this together, Jesus was raptured up. He's coming back, same manner. Now, this word coming that Paul uses here is sets the subject. You remember, precept must be upon precept. Subject upon subject. Are you with me? Line upon line, here a little, there a little. We put the puzzle together. We can see what God has for us. This word coming in the Greek comes from the word parousia. Now, I'm not going to argue over how to pronounce it. I'm just wonderful I can pronounce English, okay? But for tonight, it's parousia, okay? Anyway, why is this important? Suppose I said, my, ma'am, you have a beautiful hair. And maybe she said, well, thank you. I spent about four hours in the beauty shop. No, excuse me, ma'am. I was talking about your rabbit. Hello? Huh? There's hair and there's hair, right? Are you with me? In the Bible, there's coming, 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 and coming. And if you just go through and start, come, start studying the word coming, 
you could come up with an erroneous or a false theory. Are you with me? So tonight as we study our subject, Paul sets the subject. He says the coming we're talking about is parousia. Okay? This is when the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him. You know, I've had somebody tell me that, you know, this verse 16 is the loudest verse in the Bible. And they say, what? Yeah, it's loud enough to wake the dead. Amen. <laughs> Let's go on to chapter 5. By the way, who wrote chapter 4? Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who wrote chapter 5? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Got the same guy writing the same book. Okay. Chapter 5. But of the times and season, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And this is the second most used text to support this idea of a sudden disappearance or a secret rapture. Paul is talking about the parousia, the coming of the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But here it says it's like a thief in the night, Jack. Hmm. Let's read on. For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes and travails upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But you, brothers, I like to also add sisters, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Did you hear that? God's people Christ's second coming, the parousia, should not come as a thief in the night to you. Why? You know the truth. Okay? Those in darkness don't know the truth, and it's going to be like a thief coming in and breaking in in the night. It's going to be a total shock and surprise. Are you with me? And he says, verse 5, You are all children of the light. You are children of the day. You are not of the darkness, not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. Jesus over and over said, watch and pray, watch and pray. In an hour you think not, the Son of Man comes. Okay? But it shouldn't take you as a thief. Are you with me? You're looking at it? Do the other disciples agree with Paul. Let's go over to 1 Peter. Ah, uh, let's see. No, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Remember, the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So as we look here, I want you to read 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to regress just one thing just for a minute, verse 8, okay? No. Verse 9. Here Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. His promise of what? Coming back. Okay? As some men count slackness, 
But he is long-suffering or patience toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want us to be lost. He wants us to be saved. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but for years he was waiting on me. Thank God he did. Okay? But his patience is going to run out. But he wants, let me tell you, we were all predestined to be saved. Will everybody be saved? No, because of our free choice. Does that make sense? So here he says <laughs> that all should come to repentance. But look at verse 10 now. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Sound like he agreed with Paul? In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth also and the works therein shall be what? Burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Wow. I was down south big meeting. We had about 750 people coming every night. And I didn't know it at the time, but one of the persons in the audience was a very, very, very rich man. And uh, I'm not going to tell you where, because some of you might be able to guess who he is. But he went home that night. He came back the next night, and here's what he told me. He said, you know, Jack, he says, I was reading these verses and he says, they kept going over and over in my mind. I couldn't sleep. He said, finally about, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, I got up. I went into my office. And uh, he said, it's all going to burn up. He said, I don't know if I did it right or not. But he says, I knelt down and said, Lord, I don't want to burn up with my stuff. Please forgive me. I said, it sounds like you did a good job to me. Uh, salvation is simple. Hello, conversion is simple, okay? How many of you like to see an example of conversion? Would you like to see one? Okay, I want to show you conversion. This is real difficult. Are you ready? Here we go. See, I was going my way, now I'm going Jesus' way. Hello. That's conversion. Don't make it complicated. It's easy, Okay. Anyway, he got up off of his knees and he took those little posty sticky notes, you know, and he opened his checkbook and he put one in the checkbook and it said, to be burned. He said, I went outside and he said, I put one on the front door of my house, to be burned. He said, while I was out there, I was so inspired, he said, I went over to my six-car garage and he said, I put one in the middle of the steering wheel of every one of my cars and he says, I even put one in the middle of my, you know, Ski boat. He said, I went back to bed. Still couldn't sleep. Said, I got up five o'clock in the morning, got dressed, and went to, to the office. He said, when I got to the office, he said, I walked up to the front door and I put a little posty note on the front door to be burned. He said, I got upstairs to my office and all of a sudden something dawned on me. The wind could come along and blow those little posty notes away and I could forget 
He said, I got on the phone and called a friend of mine who was a sign painter. He says, I apologize to him for calling him so early. He said, I don't know what you have on the schedule today, but he said, if you come here first, I'll pay double your rent. He said, so he did. And he said, so in letters bigger than the name of the company, I had it painted on there, to be burned. He says, many of my employees ask me, what in the world does that mean? He said, I explained to them, he says, I've got 21 employees with me here tonight. Amen. What is it you think you'll give up for eternal life? Your car? That's going to burn up. Your bank account? Say goodbye. I don't care how hard you work on your house, it's burning up too. What will you give for eternal life? Listen, heaven's better than you can even begin to imagine. That's what the Bible says. You've never seen anything like it. You've never smelled anything like it. You've never tasted anything like it. It's a real place for real people. It's not some spiritualized thing away, okay? Why? What a danger Satan tries to take heaven from us. You know, Satan says, why do you want to go to heaven? You know what heaven is like? You're going to get this little cloud. It's all yours. They're going to give you the deed forever. They're going to give you this little crown. You're going to get to sit on your cloud and play your harp forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why do you want to go to heaven? Now, you can have all of the fun you want to have. You can smoke all the dope you want to smoke. You can drink all the booze you want to drink, run around with all the women you want to run around with. You can just have a great time. And yes, it'll be a little warm, but you'll have lots of friends. Some of you have heard this from pulpits. Hello, in one form or another, okay? God says the gift of God is, and the wages of sin is, that's two opposites. Hello? Okay, we're going to talk more about it. We'll find out. You know, people ask questions, are the dead really dead? You know, what happens when we die? The Bible's plain, folks. We'll study it. Just know heaven is a real place. Okay? Listen, girls, the mansion Jesus is making is exactly the way you want it. You know how I know that? Us guys don't care. Just leave our chair alone. Amen. <laughs> but now the one out in the country, I got that all made. You know, I, I built that one myself. You know, I got one wall, it's all roses, and I've decided to make the ceiling out of grapes so that if I'm sitting in my chair and I get hungry, I can just reach up and pick one. I'm going to have a hot tub right smack in the middle of the front room. You know, I got it all, you know. And, and, and when I get to heaven, you know, I like dogs, but, you know, there's something about a kitty cat. You know what I'm talking about? Pet that little kitty cat just purrs away, right? Well, when I get to heaven, I'm getting me a kitty cat. And we're going to go out in the meadow and we're going to take a nap. Hello? So don't let, don't let Satan steal it from you. It's the most wonderful thing you can imagine. 
And so heaven is a real place for real people. What is it you'll exchange for heaven? Is it worth it? He says the whole world is going to burn up. Every bit of it, all of it, doesn't matter. Now, by the way, when we look at verse 12, we're still in 2 Peter, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, guess which word Peter uses? Are we still talking about the same subject? Absolutely. Paul set the subject, so we're still studying the same subject, aren't we? Where did they get the idea of putting together the end of the world with Christ's coming? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we discover here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? Guess which word he uses? Parathia. And of the end of the world. Now the first thing Jesus says, Take heed and let no man deceive you. Take heed. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Wasn't good enough. He did it again. Verse 11. Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And in verse 4, three times he said, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible... They should deceive the very elect. Who are the very elect? We are if we study what God says because we're children of the light. But he says some of this will be so powerful, even those of us that know will be tempted to believe it. Hello? Verse 24, 25. Behold, I have told you before, Jesus said. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, that he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. So what is he telling us? This word, parousia, that he starts off there in verse 3, he tells us many false prophets are going to arise, and lots of people have followed different ones to different reasons and to results that weren't good, if you remember reading all of them. And we discover that over and over people are misled with good intentions. But here he says this. This idea of the rapture, a sudden disappearance, he said, no, this isn't true. He said, when they tell you it's a secret, don't believe it. Well, what's it going to be like, Lord? Verse 27 for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man, be. Now, we have some pretty good storms out here, but when I was a boy, I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'm going to tell you something. When they have some thunder and lightning storms back there, whoo, you can go outside and close the shutters. You can go inside and pull the blind down and close the curtains. 
you can get into bed and pull the covers over your head. But when that lightning and thunder goes off, ain't nobody got to tell you what's happening. You don't have to turn on Channel 2 News and watch it. Okay? Sometimes it'll almost bounce you out of bed. This is what Jesus says it's going to be like. Does that sound anything like a secret? Just as the lightning comes, there's no way you can cover that up. This same Jesus that you've seen go is coming again. He says, verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens. Then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1-7 also says, Every eye shall see him. Folks, it's not going to be a secret. And he uses that same word there again in verse 27, parathia. He uses it again in verse 30. Over and over we're talking about the same subject. But now Jesus also cautions us. You know, last uh, May, there was uh, somebody predicting, you know, the end. And... um, Somebody asked me about it, and I said, well, I have to believe Harold is a man of God serving the way God called him, but in this particular case, I know what to do with that particular piece of information. Just file it in the garbage can. What? I said, yeah, Jesus says, verse 36, but no, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Somebody's trying to give you a date, forget it. The idea of this rapture, is it a sudden disappearance? No, not at all, folks. It is something that will be visible. You can hear it. It's going to be the most amazing thing you've ever had in your life. Jesus even goes on to give an example. Okay? Now, who's given the example? Okay, so it's time to pay attention, amen? (laughs) Jesus said this, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so the coming of the Son of Man be. Could I say this by what was said right there? The flood came to those who weren't in the boat like the thief in the night. They didn't know it until it came. Isn't that what it said? Showed up like a thief. Took them by surprise. All of the experts were saying it was impossible. It had never rained before anyway. And there can't be enough water to cover the whole earth all at the same time. You know, sometimes these self-styled experts. You know, X stands for the unknown. A spurts a drip under pressure. Even I qualify. Okay? Here's what God says. Listen, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the parousia, the coming of the Son of Man, be. Noah preached for 120 years, folks, over and over. It was kind of like what we would find today. He said all their thoughts and imaginations were evil continuously. 
But yet he kept right on preaching, saying, you've got to get on the boat. And all people wanted to do was party. You know, they didn't care to go to church. They don't care to do this. They just wanted to party. Marrying and getting married. Listen, there's nothing wrong with marriage. More of us preachers wish more of you'd do it. But I'm going to tell you something. When God says, get on the boat, wait. You can get married when you're on the boat. Captain will do it. Amen? You know the one part that amazes me about this story? The smart people stayed off and the dumb animals got on. I hope I'm as smart as my dog. Amen? And when God says, get on the boat, get on the boat. Does that make sense? Don't reason it away. Thus saith the Lord. And that's what he's telling us this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man be. Tell me something. All those outside the boat, what happened to them? They were left behind. Hello? How many of you want to be left behind now? <laughs> the second idea of a second chance. There was no second chance. You were either on the boat or you weren't. You know, eight people on the boat. And we got people today, you know, fighting amongst one another because of color or language or something else. You know, away with such nonsense. We're all related. I don't care whether you like it or not. I don't care what color they are. You're still related. And if you can't get along here, you ain't going there. That simple. Okay? So knock this baloney off. Look at them as your brothers and sisters and try to love them like Jesus. And if that's real difficult, ask God to put the love in your heart. He can do that. He can change us. Jesus said, always stay ready. Now, he gives three more examples. I want you to turn over to Luke 17 because I want to use the one here in Luke 17. It's the same subject Jesus is talking, but here he gives three and in, in Matthew he only gives two. I want to cover all three because these three examples, again, is the most used thing to be able to promote this idea of a sudden disappearance or a secret rapture. Verse 34. I tell you that in that night there shall be two men in one bed. One shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. One shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Now, of course, verse 37, the disciples ask him, where, where, Lord, where are they uh, left? And he said, wheresoever the body is, hither the eagles will be gathered together. Now, that'll create a question. Don't write it down. I'm going to answer it tomorrow night, okay? So just remember, tomorrow night, symbolically, I'm going to have Jesus pull up in your driveway, get out of the car, and head for your front door. Are we really living in the last moments of earth's history? Absolutely, folks. I'll prove it to you tomorrow night. You can go home and tell somebody, you need to get ready tonight. 
You can have a sense of urgency you've never had before. First of all, Paul said, the dead in Christ shall rise what? You remember Lazarus? Jesus even had to tell his disciples, Lazarus is what? Dead. But what did Jesus call it? Sleep. So here he says, when this comes, there will be two men sleeping. One shall be taken, the other shall be left. Why? The dead in Christ shall rise what about the dead that aren't in Christ tomorrow night's subject are you with me and so this is where he starts off one is taken and the other is left now he talks about two women women in Bible prophecy equals church I'm assuming most of you know that there are two women described in the book of Revelation how many two one is a beautiful woman described over in Revelation 12. It shall be taken. God is coming for this woman to take his people home. Are you with me? Working in the world every day to win souls to Jesus Christ. The other woman is listed over in Revelation chapter 17. We're going to cover this one as well. This woman is referred to as a whore. Is she working in the world to be able to win people? Yes. But to a whole set of tradition that has nothing to do with the Bible. And let me tell you, it's going to come down. You'll either worship one or the other. It's that simple. But this woman shall be left behind. There'll just be two categories, you understand? One side trying to win people to Jesus... The other side is following Satan. Wow. Now, he said two men will be in the field. You remember the story Jesus told about the sower? And uh, the disciples came and asked, and, you know, somebody uh, sowed good seed, and then there was weeds. And, of course, then he said the sower of the good seed was the son of man, and the sower of the bad seeds was the devil. And some of them volunteered to go out and pull up the weeds. You remember what Jesus said? Don't do it. The angels will take care of that in the end of the world. I've been in some churches where I've met some members. They think their God-given talent is to weed. <laughs> that is not scriptural. Amen. Nowhere are you given permission to weed. But we got hypocrites in our church. Where else do you want them? Maybe some weekend in the morning the preacher will say the right thing and God will get through to their thick brain. Amen? Amen. You know? <laughs> Folks, we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. It's very, very important. But Jesus also said, the field is the world. Are you with me? So here we find, he says, two men are working in the field, in the world, one will be taken and the other will be left. There are two kinds of people when Jesus comes that are alive. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, what happens to the rest of the living? 
Don't miss tomorrow night's subject. Hello. It'll be really informative for you. How many of you want to be left behind? <laughs> Not me. Because when they were left behind before, they were all destroyed. This idea of a second chance, it's not there, folks. It just isn't there. Now, how about escape tribulation? We're going to end with this one tonight. I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 16. We're going to end right here. Revelation chapter 16. Anybody know what Revelation chapter 16 is all about? Haven't heard the word yet. Yeah, and the vials are full of plagues. Okay, good. Revelation chapter 16 is all about the seven last plagues. Are you with me? Okay, so that we understand that. We need to know what the Bible says, so we need this continuing education. The Bible says the dead in Christ rise, then we which are alive and remain are caught up, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now this idea of tribulation. I want you to notice verse 15. I don't know how many of you got a red letter edition, but who's talking? And what does he say? Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they shall see his shame. And he gathers them together into a place that is called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. As we look at this, the first plague is poured out upon those who receive the mark of the beast. And we see plague two, three, four, because of false teachings are poured out. We discover plague five, darkness falls upon the seat of the beast, proving that there is no light in the beast. None, and everybody recognizes it. Six, the river Euphrates dries up. All support for the beast is withdrawn. Six plagues have fallen. Are you with me? Would you call this tribulation? Okay. Listen, I want to tell you something. In Egypt, there were ten plagues. The first three fell on everybody. The last seven only fell on the Egyptians. Didn't come near the God's people at all. Are you with me? How many are in the last days? Don't worry about the plagues for far as you're concerned. They won't come to you. You won't have any problem with them whatsoever. They will fall on the wicked. Only with that eye shalt thou behold the reward of the wicked. Is the scriptures becoming plain to you as you put it together? Plague 6 has fallen. Verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his veil into the air. In other words, the seventh plague is now being poured out. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. As the seventh plague is coming, Jesus says, I come as a thief in the night. But when this plague is poured out, escaping tribulation, no. But God says, it's done. 
go get my children. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a beautiful promise, amen? How many of you just want to be there and get to be caught up? Huh? Let's stand together and pray. Can we do that? Father, thank you so much for these people and for the privilege that I have to stand and be able to be a spokesman for you. I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will have used me to be able to reach the hearts of each person. May they leave here tonight with such great hope in their heart, with a smile on their face that somebody tomorrow will ask them, why are you so happy? And I pray their answer will be, because Jesus loves me. Keep us safe and bring us back tomorrow night. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.